Hello, please let me see your ticket stubs for the Double Edge Double Bill, where you get two film and or media discussions for the price of one, which is uh, nothing. Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to randomly select the yin and yang of a double feature. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for each episode, so uh, let the chaos begin. I am Adam Thomas. And I picked the wrong week to stop sniffing glue, because I'm Thomas Mariani. Oh, hey, by the way, Thomas, Scott Johnson is still here. What? He's still here? I'm still here. Yes. Ah. Yes, you are. He's our guest from last week. Uh, we're all tuckered out after he uh, engages in that Batman debate from previously. Uh, if you listen to our DC movies episode, it's a lot of fun. But he's here now to uh, pick the topic for this week, which I guess in honor of that Sherlock Holmes Will Ferrell movie that's coming out. Kind of. I just felt it was a, a genre that we haven't really done before. This is one of the ones I picked to maybe do, and uh, it's one of my favorites. Well, and what is it, Adam? Movie spoofs, guys. When they're done great, they're the best comedy movies around. When they're done bad, they're the worst comedy movies around. So <laughs> I feel it's a very fertile ground. Well, surely you can't be serious about that. I am serious, but don't call me Shirley. Hey, we're doing Aye. all the hits, because nothing's better when you cover a joke. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're, we're decided to do spoofs, and it's interesting, because we kind of even debate internally, like, the line between spoof and parody, and all this other stuff. I, is the line being drawn that far with this, Adam? Because I don't know if both of mine no, kind of fit. I don't think so. If you consider a spoof, it's a spoof. If I consider it's a spoof, it's a spoof. Fuck it. Because there's, like, a parody is something that takes direct reference to something, so, like... Mm. Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story, which is a movie I love, would qualify as a spoof. However, something like Hot Fuzz would be more of a satire. Or And even satire is another thing. Parody is another word. It's crazy. But this is the hardest I've ever had in terms of picking a bad choice. Gotta be. Because yeah, you gotta watch them. Well, right. It's that I have to watch them, but also that we have to talk about them. And so many of these bad yeah. spoof movies are just like, they weren't funny. Good night. Like I, there's not a lot to say about some of them. So it was really hard yeah. finding ones that were both bad and also at least fertile ground for discussion. Sure. Well, Scott, since you are our guest, that means you get to draw the gun and shoot it and pick the numbers. And if those of you who don't know, Thomas and I pick two movies. We assign them to a certain number between one and ten, and normally we would pick a number and. The closest to that number would be the movie you choose. But every time we have a guest, we allow them the picking. So, Scott, there you go, buddy. Well, I think following up from last week, let's make it number three. For the good, number three for the good at my number one is Fatal Instinct with Armando Sante and Sean Young. Okay. Have you ever seen it? Oh, it's funny, dude. Oh, my God. I love that movie. And my other pick at number seven was Hot Shots Part Two. Oh, I do love Hot Shots Part Two. That's very underrated. You're not. Appreciate it. Uh, I'm excited. Okay, Scott, for, for Thomas's bad picks, pick a number between one and ten. Let's do number nine. Okay. 
at number seven, I had, uh, it's funny you mentioned uh, last week with the end of a trilogy, I have the end of this particular trilogy, and one that also includes Michael Caine, Austin Powers in Gold Member. Oh, no. Yep. Oh, God, no. We're, we're doing that. Yeah. I almost talk about that movie once a week with my wife, how much I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Oof, so there's so much to talk about, Adam. Honestly, considering the current slate of spoof movies, I think you got off lucky. <laughs> That's true. What's your other pick? At number two, I had Airplane 2. Oh, good. Yeah, there's more to talk about with Goldmember, I think. All there's really to say about Airplane 2 is William Shatner's good in it, and it's a lesser imitation yeah, of the first and, movie. And that's, that's saying a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, for sure. Uh, but we uh, want to thank Scott for being on here. Scott, you plug yourself briefly. Oh, sure. Thanks for letting me do that. Follow me on Twitter at ScottPJThoughts. That is Scott with two Ts, letter P, letter J, Thoughts. Uh, you can see movie reviews I do on Stardust. That is Silky with an I-E-P-J. And if you like opinions on craft beer, you can follow me at PorchDrinking.com where I do beer reviews and pairings of what beer would be good for bad movies, good movies, TV shows, all that kind of jazz. Yes, and Scott, it's important that you're on here because uh, you're the last person to pick during the intro of our episodes. That's right, everybody. If you've been listening on our Facebook and Twitter page, we discussed having a change for the show and format, where instead of picking movies at the beginning for the individual episode, we would potentially be doing the picking for the next week's episode at the end of an individual episode. So this is the last time we're doing picking for an episode at the beginning and we're going to go ahead and, at the end of this episode, pick the movies for our next one. So from now on, that's going to be the name of the game. We're going to be doing that, and we'll find something else to do with our interests. I don't even know what the fuck we're going to do. We still no, have to I discuss don't. that. Yes, but TLDR, we're not picking it at the beginning anymore. We're picking it at the end of the previous episode. Gasp. Yes. <laughs> and we'll be doing plenty of gasping and confawing and laughing right after this. Ned Ravine, a cop who plays by the rules. Lola Kane, a woman who plays by her own rules. Together. Oh, this is so different. They're going to ignite an animal passion that will lead to the deadliest game of all. Tell me who she is, alright? She's my sister! Your wife! She's your wife and my sister. Fatal Instinct. Opening soon. And we are back from our double feature, and we have a new guest with us. She's been on the show before, and uh, I think she's someone that might mean a bit to a certain person of the two co-hosts here. Uh, why don't you introduce them, Adam? Everybody, this is Heather. She is Thomas's uh, mistress. <laughs> no, it's it's my wife. Hello, everybody. Had to come out somehow. I mean, I was just surprised you're the one that said it. <laughs> <laughs> I've known all along. Oh, man, this is such a torrid love affair. I can't believe we're revealing it here live on the air. This isn't a rating sweep or anything, guys. But tune in for the next thrilling chapter. But no, um, so, Heather, you were on for our Disney episode, but now uh, you decided to come on for spoofs. I know Adam mentioned this is one of his favorite genres, and I believe it's also true for you, correct? 
Oh, yeah. This is one of my all-time favorites. We, I grew up with it. I mean, I know it said a lot. You know, you remember it with your parents. And it's funny because I go back to, like, my parents would have um, Robin Hood Men in Tights and stuff like that playing all the time. And I brought it up that I was going to be on this episode. And they both, like, almost rolled their eyes. So I think I had more of a love for it than they did. <laughs> so I think that it was them that brought me into it. But I guess my love of irreverent and silliness obviously with my husband, makes sense <laughs> all by myself. It wasn't even them that brought it up. It was me. All my childhood favorite movies were spoofs. So you would say you're sort of the living embodiment of the Weird Al effect? <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, I've never thought about it that way, but you, you just know me so well. <laughs> <laughs> well, and for those of you who don't know, the Weird Al effect is basically where um, you might have seen a parody countless times, but you've never seen the source material, but you know that parody far more than the source material. Which, I mean, is very true, especially for, like, considering Airplane is literally, like, they bought the script for a bad 50s, like, disaster movie called Zero Hour, the Zucker Brothers, and they just remade it with jokes. That's literally what that movie is. Wasn't there those airport movies? There was, like, I don't know how many of them was, but was it where, like, the plane was underwater at some point? Right, right, yeah, so the airport, like, 77 or whatever the hell they yes. were. That's It's also a spoof of those, but it is also very specifically, they bought a script for a bad 50s movie no one gave a shit about and remade it as Airplane. <laughs> Weird Al obviously has done that plenty of times where it's like, the Crash Test Dummies song, like, I know that parody way more than I ever did that Crash Test Dummies song. Just as an example. Amish Paradise. I Amish, <laughs> well, I knew Gangsta's Paradise, but I do prefer Amish Paradise, because you turn butter once or twice. Come on. <laughs> anyway, let's get into our features here. First up on the docket is Fatal Instinct, which uh, came out October 29th, 1993. Interestingly, I realized we've done three episodes in a row where our good feature is from 1993. Really? Yeah, because we had Mask of the Phantasm last time in Perfect World mm-hmm. the episode before that. 1993 was a good year. (laughs) Vintage. (laughs) And Fatal Instinct is, if you couldn't tell from the title, a parody of a lot of the 90s erotic thrillers, uh, specifically Fatal Attraction, Basic Instinct, and Sleeping with the Enemy, or like the three main ones it's spoofing. Mm -hmm. It's directed by Carl Reiner, who of course is a comedy legend. He created the Dick Van Dyke Show. Um, and he is the father of Rob Reiner as well. And he's obviously been around, the, like, work with Mel Brooks a lot. And, you know, he's just been writing comedy for literally, like, decades upon decades. And this was one of his last features before he kind of just stopped directing movies. Still alive. But hasn't directed a movie since, like, 97. Adam, obviously this was your pick. And um, mm-hmm. this is a favorite of yours, clearly? Yes. It, it's definitely a favorite of mine. It's definitely more so one of Heather's favorites than mine, but I just always loved this movie as a kid, mainly because I thought Armand Asante was so funny in this that it almost endeared him to me, even in all of the terrible movies he's done since and before. I'm always like, yeah, I'm all right with Armand Asante. Like, just something about him just killed me in this. And plus, I already knew who Sean Young was because of Blade Runner. The jokes just don't stop in this movie. And the physical comedy especially is so well done in this. It's funny because once I rewatched it this time, there was something like, I think I watched it on TV a lot more because the first scene when they're on the boardwalk, I remember thinking like, man, I'm not, I don't really like this. <laughs> but but as soon as like it got passed to Armand Asante in the courtroom and playing both parts that he was a cop and a lawyer, 
it's just that to me is so funny. And I always love Monsante being a serious actor. And you could tell that he took, you know, he was taking himself so seriously is what my love for Spoofs come from. Just like how Leslie Nielsen does it. You just you take yourself so seriously and so straightforward that everything that you do, even if it's physical comedy or even even his hair is like sticking up because he just got out of the car with the fan in it for some reason. It just gives it that more life. But it's funny, too, because Reiner, you can kind of tell it was his last movie, kind of his last hurrah. There was a couple of the jokes that I watched this time that kind of missed it, but it was so strong in my childhood. And like I said, I think I've seen it on TV more than anything else. That it's just all nostalgia, all what I loved about those movies, all wrapped into one. I mean, I laughed at just stupid physical comedy and even the ironic comedy in it. I just love this movie. <laughs> well, yeah, you can definitely tell that they're trying to go for that Leslie Nielsen school, which that was a genius of, like, casting him in Airplane, was for, throughout the 60s and 70s, he played straight-laced, like, serious types. I mean, he's, like, the lead in Forbidden Planet. So he was always, like, oh, I'm the straight-laced guy, and you put him in a comedic situation, and that's hysterical. It worked so perfectly. And here, that's definitely what Armando Sante is trying to do, and I think all the actors are really try and do pretty well. Um, particularly of the cast, my favorite is probably uh, Christopher McDonald, who's super young here. This is Oh, yeah, he's so funny. <laughs> Pre-Shooter McGavin, which was very yep. interesting. <laughs> the whole scene where it's uh, him and uh, Armand Sante's wife, who the... Kate Nelligan. Uh, that whole sequence where they're trying to hide their affair in the kitchen, I thought, was one of the better comedic set pieces of the whole movie. I think especially, literally, when Armando Sante opens the door and she's on top of her and he opens the door just enough to hide her, make sure you get that piece of junk out of my driveway, and then he closes it. That's a pretty funny gag. This is the first time I'd ever seen this movie. Um, I wasn't a huge fan. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll say this, like, I was worried going in that, like, because Adam and I have talked about this, the worst kind of movie to watch is a bad comedy. Like, an unfunny comedy yeah. whatsoever is garbage, because you can't even make fun of a bad comedy, because it's just like, you're trying to make me laugh and it's not working. And I give a lot of credit to, I think everybody's trying here, I just think, it's it's hard to, you know, be the guy like, well, let me explain to you why a joke doesn't work. But No, please. For the sake of a goddamn podcast yeah. where we have to fill up an hour of time. Carl Reiner, as I mentioned, like, he comes from a very old school of comedy, sort of like a sitcom era of comedy to me. With the Zucker Brothers movies, and this is something they couldn't even keep up for all their movies after a certain point, uh, but especially with Airplane Top Secret, there are ten jokes in a single scene. And sometimes you don't even catch them the first time. That it's what that's what makes Airplane or Top Secret so rewatchable is that you just get so many different background jokes you didn't catch the first time. But Carl Reiner comes from a school of sitcom comedy where you kind of try to build up to a joke, and there's one particular single joke that you're focusing on. And I felt like sometimes those jokes were funny, but ultimately I'll. When they fell flat to me, they really fell flat just because that's the main joke of this scene and I'm not really getting much out of it. I thought that was the case with honestly a lot of, especially the more specific parodies of things from the like Fatal Attraction or Basic Instinct. I just felt we're like, this is a bit labored and we get to the punchline and I 
didn't think it was really worth building up to that point. I agree to a certain extent, too, because when I was watching, the physical humor is what got me when I first watched this. I mean, and still to this day, it still makes me laugh. And that's probably what endears me to all sorts of movies. Like when he gets hit with a bus, when she hands him the cigarette and it's in his nose and his reaction to it. But I thought about it this time, too, how long-winded some of the jokes were. And this is also coming off of, like you said, when you watch the bad spoof, especially now, I think it leaves such a bad taste with some of the parodies that come out now that I'm looking for it in my older movies that I liked. And I did notice it like the skunk scene lasted so long in the courtroom, like a long winded time. The sex scene is ridiculously yeah. too. Which I have to add, because I watched it at such a young age, I was confused for a very long time. Hope you got a big fridge, sailor. <laughs> <laughs> But I agree, watching it this time, I definitely, I'll always love this movie, but I definitely do notice that, like you said, it's just, it's trying to make the joke really obvious, too, and that sometimes hindered it. I mean, sometimes that works really in its favor. Like, probably the funniest joke to me is the bit where he reads the business card, and he's reading literally everything on the business card down to the phone number. That was, like, the biggest laugh to me. Because there's literally a point where it's just like, why is he keep... Oh, that's the joke! He keeps going on forever with this. This is great. Um, I think some of those moments where it's less of like trying to directly parody any of those erotic thriller movies, and it's more just like, this is a general movie cliche that we can point to. That reminds me more of something like one of my favorite Carl Reiner movies that's, I guess, the closest to one of these parody things is Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, which is a great spoof movie. Never heard of it, I don't think. Well, the basic premise is Steve Martin plays a private detective. It's a parody of film noir movies. And his whole thing is that he keeps interacting with, like, clips from other movies from, like, that era. Like, Joan Crawford, he has, like, a scene with and is interacting off of them. Or, uh, I love, Humphrey Bogart is his partner, and he's incredibly inept in the movie. He's a drunk. And Steve Martin's like, oh my god, Jeff, you're such a terrible partner. <laughs> and they edited it so Humphrey Bogart's like the most inept detective. It's a great movie. And I think that's where it comes from, is that you can tell he likes noir movies based on that or this movie. To quote his comedy partner of many years, Mel Brooks, you kind of have to love what you parody. I don't think he has much heart in the erotic thriller genre, which you shouldn't, because most it's of those terrible. are fucking terrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So basically, I think what's happening here is that Heather and I are being nostalgia girls, which is definitely possible. But I mean, there's still just some great scenes in this movie. Like, I love just even the simple stuff where he goes to pick out a suit and they're all the same suit. She's having her a panic attack and she gets hit by like a giant bucket full of water and he's holding a Dixie cup. You know, <laughs> right. just the simple stuff like that. Or One of Heather's my favorite things ever. One of the lines we always quote is when he comes home and Sean Young's in his house. And he's like, um, yeah, this is Mrs. Um. um. She told you her name was Um. <laughs> what are the lies that she told you? The fact that they're not smoking a cigarette. Like, they're literally not really smoking. And he oh, yeah, th- tries to do the yeah. O-rings. <laughs> I, I do agree. It's, but it's the smaller character stuff that gets me more than the more elaborate set pieces they do for the comedy. No, I mean, I can agree with that. Like... I don't know that the whole Cape Fear angle was necessary in this either, but I still got a couple funny parts out of it. But I, again, I think maybe the problem is that we're being nostalgic kids. You got to figure I saw this when I was like nine or ten, and it was racy back then. So maybe it's just like, ooh, I was allowed to see this one. This is still good. 
the erotic thriller genre, though, was ripe for parody at that time, because, like, I mean, I think Fatal Attraction, it's a very weird, problematic movie by modern standards, but it's a well-executed version, probably the best of those I movies. I think it's the better of all of them. Yeah, I can agree with you. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, Basic Instinct Part 2, but... <laughs> well, the thing is, I actually, I had not seen Basic Instinct until in doing research for this episode prior to watching oh, uh, no. Fatal Instinct. And it seems um, much like a Michael Douglas saxophone. <laughs> The weird thing is, Basic Instinct is unintentionally far more funny than this movie is to me, <laughs> because it is so ridiculous, and you can tell that, like, Michael Douglas, Sharon Stone, and Paul Verhoeven are trying so hard to make this stupid, awful piece of shit Joe Esterhaus script work on some level. You could also tell that all three absolutely hated each other. Yep. Oh, yeah. That's very clear. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's so odd. Anyway, so... We, you- Armando Sante was really good in this movie. He's trying really hard. No, I agree. I think everybody is. I think Sean Young and him, I think, are trying very hard to accomplish what you guys are talking about, the Leslie Nielsen style of, like, acting super serious and 100% believing in this particular gag and potentially, you know, to make the comedy work. I don't think it's really on them. I, I don't. I really don't think so. It's more just, I think, the craft of the jokes that's the problem to me. Like tapering into something that he was he was trying to do more full on parody and it was missing the mark. I think the other reason why I hold this to my heart, too, is because at the time I would pick up any kind of parody I could. Like I even liked. Is it Loaded Weapon with um, Samuel Jackson and Amelia Estevez? Yeah. That's the same thing. So I think there was less for me to, like, any kind of them would make me laugh. And like I said, and it's so funny now because when I look at, and you made the point, bad comedies are the worst. Me and Adam just got in this discussion, and I well believe bad comedies are worse than bad horror movies because even, you know, sometimes horror movies can maybe get, you can get a kind of a chuckle because of how bad they are. Yeah, you can make fun of a bad horror movie. Right, even if it's recent, but bad comedies, and especially comedies that make fun of other comedies, and you end up in this like vortex of comedy, <laughs> are so bad that now, like I said, you look back on it and you're like, ooh, it just makes you uncomfortable. And I think that's why I liked it so much at the time, because it was like any kind of like in that world of like that fanciful world where they, everybody totally accepts the chaos or the craziness. Everyone's totally OK with a whole courtroom of people chewing gum. It's like the live action Muppets. <laughs> Everything that happens in Airplane could happen in the Muppet world and it should be totally acceptable. I don't disagree with you, Thomas, uh, necessarily. Like I said. It's probably definitely a little bit of nostalgia factor for me, but I just keep going back to Armando Sante. You know, I just kind of wish that Armando Sante would have maybe gone the comedic route with his career. You know, you got to figure two years after this, he was in Judge Fucking Dread. So it's like, I don't know, man. I just, it's like the what could have been factor. I could see that. Admittingly, in Judge Dread, he's, I think, far more funny to me with stuff like, mm. you betray the law. 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 He's ridiculous there. Like, I could see him in a better comedy where you could kind of take advantage of the straight man angle that he's kind of going for. And I I think there are points, like, I would say, actually, the pier scene has some of my favorite stuff with that. If nothing else for probably the best running gag in the movie to me is Clarence Clemens of the E Street Band popping up whenever there's a saxophone riff in the background. Great. Yeah. And I like Armando Sante's, like, his tackable, like, gymnastic skills. Where he's like flipping over everything and from room to room and stuff. I don't know why that gag always makes me laugh in movies. It was a simpler time. 
And, and, and I mean, I think there are also like funnier small appearances that do show up in here. Like we should mention his partners, John Witherspoon, who mm-hmm. would later be famous in the Friday movies and Boondocks, amongst other things. Um, He's always eating. Always eating something. Yes, <laughs> I love him uh, when they go into the bathroom and he's like, "Hey, come on, come over." He's like, "I just got in the front of the line, man. I can't leave." Like, I, <laughs> I, I like that bit. I like uh, Bob Euchre shows up announcing a court back yeah. and forth, which I think is funny. Uh, you mentioned one of the courtroom scenes where um, they're judging the robber at the beginning, who's played by Blake Clark, and he always has mm-hmm. pantyhose on. I thought that was a very funny gag. Him chewing gum with the pantyhose, and his family. It's like, we has to raise a family, and they all have pantyhose on their head. Stuff like that, I think, is quite fun, where it's just yeah. like a, a quick aside. Earth the Kit. Earth the Kit shows up, yeah, as yeah, one of the judges. Yeah. <laughs> do you have gum enough for the rest of us? Actually, I do. I love when they go investigate the murder scene and there's so much blood everywhere. <laughs> they all slide into the van. That part, like, literally makes me laugh till like, I cry. <laughs> like, just the fact that they continuously keep falling. The funniest part in the whole movie to me that, because when I was a kid, I would watch a scene, like, over and over and over and over again, was him getting hit by the bus. I don't know what it is, like, just the fact that he's, like, got this inner monologue going and it's self-reflection moment and then he gets hit by a bus is so funny to me. I can't even stand it. I think Scary Movie popularized just the whole get hit by the bus and that's the only mm. part of the joke. And that became such a terrible running joke in all those stupid movies. That's how they ended all those. Versus in this movie, I like the fact that they have him get hit by the bus. And the funnier thing to me is him coming back to work and he looks like he got hit by a bus. And he's just completely disheveled. He's just like, nah, I gotta keep working. He's that big of a workaholic. The best jokes come more from just characters doing these impossibly silly situations rather than, like, the direct parody stuff we do of any of these things, which I think takes up... I agree with that, actually. Yeah. Because every scene that we've even talked about, especially, you know, me and you, Heather, that aren't parody scenes. But anyways, I still like this movie. I still think it's fun. But... Can't all be winners, Thomas. There were enough chuckles where I wasn't, like, hating this watch at all. I thought it was perfectly fine for... Heather kind of mentioned it. Like, this feels like it would have been on Comedy Central from, like, the mid-90s through to, like, the maybe early 2000s. It would have just been on the middle of a weekday, and I probably would have watched it along with it. That's how I watched Loaded Weapon or a bunch of these other, like, random spoofs. This kind of feels more like, like, the fun for, like, a watch but kind of forgettable like this or, like, wrongfully accused or, like, spy hard... Like, some of those, like, Leslie Nielsen movies that aren't completely awful, but just kind of forgettable comedies. Like, this feels like it's definitely in that weird 90s zone, because our other pick we could have potentially had, Hot Shots Part Due, I would argue is, like, the end of, like, the classic Zucker, Abram Zucker era of spoofs. Right? We would agree on that? Yep. Oh, definitely. Well, I don't know if this is like goes on par with the show, but since it wasn't really anyone's top 10, what would be your top all-time spoof, you think? Um, I mean, I love Airplane. I think, you know what, in terms of a modern movie that I think accomplishes like a Zucker, Abram Zucker style thing, the only movie I think that's done that in the last, like, this new millennium, honestly, is Walk Hard. I think is a oh. genius spoof movie that works even if you don't know the biopic structure. It's still just fucking endlessly funny to me. <laughs> I'd argue, like, uh, Tucker Dale vs. Evil, I thought was a really good spoof send-up right. the slasher genre. I really, really, really love what we do in the shadows. I mean, it's kind of a spoof of the vampire lore, and not a spoof in the typical sense. But, I mean, if you had to pick, my all-time favorite's probably Airplane. More people yeah. need to see Top Secret, though. Val Kilmer? Yes. Val Kilmer. Yeah, that's a good one. There is a whole sequence where there's an underwater bar fight. 
No oh, other movie has yeah. that. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I feel I feel like maybe we're not talking about Fatal Instinct for a reason at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Heather, as our guest, why don't you go into your final thoughts then on Fatal Instinct? When I watched it this last time, I started picking apart a little bit more than I did. But I just love the parody world, the spoof world. Like I said, I love the fancifulness of it. I thought this movie was hilarious. I still like the sight gags. I still like just even the physical comedy. I agree. It's definitely almost of its age, too. If you're sensitive to not wanting bad comedy, you might be kind of a picking on it, but I like it. It's just good fun, and it's if you don't take it too seriously, I think you'll enjoy it. Adam? First time I saw this, I, I know it was with my mom, and it made my mom belly laugh. So I think that might be part of it. Hell, any kind of reaction on my mother, you've won something. But anyways, I've seen it like maybe once or twice since then, and then I saw it with Heather, and it made her belly laugh. So I think it just kind of holds a special spot in my heart because of that, but I, let's put it this way. There is a hundred times worse that you can watch as far as spoof movies. I think this is a fun movie. It's a breeze to get through. It's entertaining. I, I don't think you can go wrong with this one. Well, and here I come to be the downer. I mean, my whole thing with it is, it's just, I didn't dislike this movie watching it. I thought there were enough jokes enough to get me through to where I wasn't like miserable watching this necessarily. But I, like I said, I think it's, it's Carl Reiner trying to kind of do a style of comedy that I think he just feels a bit too out of his wheelhouse for. It, it All the performers are committed. I think he's even obviously trying to make it work. But um, I think it might be maybe on a script level. It just kind of feels like we're contriving a lot of, like, let's connect these movies together, these parodies that we're doing as one big story to hang, like, we're going to do specific parodies of these moments and then also have, like, a few funny gags peppered in that don't quite relate to that. That I think those are the funniest bits, is really just the small character moments. And you can kind of see where, like, this is definitely one where I can see it as the sort of connecting thread between the great spoofs of, like, the 80s and early 90s, and then the trickle down into some of the lesser ones we would get in the 2000s that, like I said, like you even mentioned, Adam, like, some of those are so much worse where they just like, hey, look, here's a character that you know from a movie. That's the joke. A shitty pop culture celebrity gets hit by a car. <laughs> right. Gotcha. Right, as opposed to this one feels like it at least is trying to make an effort to parody the genre of the erotic thriller, which is was definitely ripe to be parodied at this point. I don't think this is maybe the best attempt at that. Though at the same time, I still think it's it's not too terrible of a watch. It's very much like I mentioned, I would recommend it as a you're flipping through channels, it's on cable kind of thing, or I guess in a modern context, it's on streaming and there's not anything else you really want to watch, and you're in the mood for a spoof comedy, it's not a bad one to watch, but I just would argue it's not that memorable a watch either. Fair enough. Um, I'd also like to announce with the format change that this is my last episode of the show. Oh, no! You know, speaking of memorable, um, I think we've got a memorable entry to talk about. As the second half of our double feature, it is the third entry... In the Austin Powers franchise, Austin Powers in Goldmember. This summer, I am a sexy beast. Secrets will be revealed. One of our best agents has been kidnapped. It's your father. Who has my father? He is, ladies and gentlemen, his Goldmember. I am from 
from Holland. Isn't that weird? New Line Cinema presents... Oh, I'd like to have a go with that, Philly. Shut your mouth. Mike Myers, Beyonce Knowles, and Michael Caine. Austin Powers in Gold Member. <laughs> Opens July 26th. Uh, Austin Powers in Gold Member. There's a lot going into this, obviously. This is, as I mentioned, the third in the Austin Powers franchise. Um, there had been Austin Powers International Man of Mystery, 1997, then Austin Powers The Spy Who Shagged Me in 1999, and then you have Austin Powers and Gold Member, which came out July 26, 2002. And I guess we should talk about not just our history with these movies in general, uh, but also, I guess, Mike Myers as a comedic persona, because it's it's definitely a Mike Myers production for all for of the... Walking. Yeah. <laughs> he's everybody it's a one man show <laughs> he's he's everyone and also he wants to make sure you know he's everyone because he shoves his face into the camera and mugs oh. throughout <laughs> most oh. of it <laughs> but let's let's get into our perceptions of Mike Myers as a sort of comedic persona Heather are you a fan of Mr. Myers yeah I actually have a love hate relationship with <laughs> with Mike with, with with Mike I'll call him Mike because we're on first name um, basis you know Mike Mike yes, exactly. come on Mike um, Myers when he's nasty because of he got when he got popular because I of course I loved Austin Powers when I was a kid and I loved Wayne's World any Saturday Night Live movie actually there for a while but I didn't like him from what I heard that he was sounded like he was an asshole like people just talking down all when it happened with Shrek and all this stuff. But about a year ago, me and Adam seen it was like a uh, like a like the comedians like, roundtable or whatever and asked yeah Jim Carrey, Chris Rock, Ben Stiller, and Mike Myers. He was just really down to earth and real, and you can tell that he's just one of these guys that yeah he's a little bit of an egomaniac, but he you know that he knows that he's an egomaniac. So it kind of gave me a little bit more love for him because he's trying whatever he thinks is funny. He's just trying it in whatever capacity, and whoever's foot he steps on, it seems like it doesn't matter. I think also uh, Love Guru put some humility in him. That might have brought him down to earth a bit. Oh, yes. And like I said, Austin Powers was his, like, you know, baby, so it's so iconic with him. But I I just, I have this, like, weird love-hate relationship with good old Mike. Good old Mike Myers. And are you a fan of the earlier Austin Powers movies as well? Oh, yeah, man. I've seen the second one. and In fact, me and Am talk about this. I think I've seen the second one more than I've seen any of them. But I've seen the second and the third one in theaters. Like, I was a huge fan of Verse 2. In fact, I had the third one, and it wasn't until we watched it that I realized, oh, yeah, I, I didn't really like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing from your earlier comments you share that opinion. But what about Mike Myers in general? Well, I mean, dude, I loved the Wayne's World movies growing up. I loved some of his characters on Saturday Night Live, like Simon, the little boy in the bathtub, the guy Dieter from Sprockets. And I, I'd argue that his best job at playing multiple characters is in So I Married an Axe Murderer. Yes. Where he's himself and his father. I mean, yes. he just kills me in that movie. So I, I really don't have many problems with him. Same thing. I heard he was a prick, but, you know, whatever. It's it's Hollywood. 95% of them probably are. Who knows? I liked the first Austin Powers enough when it first came out. I really liked the second one. Um, probably just because, like, the inclusion of Mini-Me and a little more Dr. Evil and stuff. I hated this one immediately. First, four characters, all the horrible celebrity cameos, like, you know, just an attaboys. But after re-watching them, now I like them in the exact order they were released. 
I think the first one's the funniest one. I think the second one's good, has flaws, and I think the third one is just fucking dreck. <laughs> John Travolta's in this doing a Dutch accent. Oh. That, that's truly how he showed up. I'm just like, oh yeah, I forgot about this. Adam must be head over heels. <laughs> oh, fuck. Ask Heather as soon as he came out screening. went, oh, fuck. Just oh, I'm guessing you somehow had a less awful reaction when Kevin Spacey showed up compared to John Travolta. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's <laughs> Especially given, yeah, Travolta, I'm like, God damn it! No! No! <laughs> I'll say that I grew up on a lot of Mike Myers', especially like the Austin Powers movies, I loved as a kid. Um, I think it was part of like sort of that, what you were talking about with Fatal Instinct earlier, but like, oh, it's kind of naughty, but I'm like 11 and this is fun to me but i did i rewatched actually not just the awesome powers movies but also so i married an axe murder and the two wayne's world movies and i just came to realize like i don't find most of them that funny anymore i think the first wayne's world's still quite funny uh the second one has its moments and the uh, so i married an axe murder is quite fun for what it is very much of its time the awesome powers ones i do agree that i think they're sort of a descending order of quality but i think what works about the first Austin Powers, which I think is much more uneven now when I rewatched it this time, is that it has a actual structure to hang itself on. The other ones just completely don't give a shit about any kind of story, especially this third one is completely without any kind of structure whatsoever. It is so much a jerk-off fest for Mike Myers to do whatever the fuck he wants. This feels like the height of his egomania in terms of just, like, I'm going to play four characters, even though I have no idea. I'm running so out of steam with doing characters. Like, gold member, what's the character? <laughs> he eats his a funny bo- he's got a gold penis. He's from Holland. Isn't that weird, Adam? Oh, yeah, and he likes breakfast food and tobacco. Smoking the pancake. It's, it's funny, because uh, he said it weird. Pipe and a crepe? Like, okay. And then, and then uh, after that, like he introduces those elements, and then he has no idea what to do with gold members. So he just is like explaining why a joke is funny. Like there's that I scene did... where Scott becomes like more important to Doctor Evil than Minnie Me, and it's already like kind of an obvious joke. Doctor Evil says this is super awkward, and then he says, "Oh, the little man doesn't know that he's not wanted." No shit. That's what the joke's clearly saying, asshole. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and then he like disappears from the movie. And then, I was like, just oh, gonna say, and then he's gone until the end. <laughs> like, he's so running out of steam. Even I thought fast that bastard was running out of steam because oh, all the all there is to that character is the makeup, which is incredible. And the second one got nominated for an Oscar for that makeup. And admittingly, it's great makeup. He disappears into it. It's phenomenal. I think honestly, that bastard is funnier in this movie than in Spy Who Shacked Me for me for just the wire gag. I think the wire gag is the funniest that character's been. Oh yeah, well, that's pretty funny. I mean, and that's straight up, like, spoof movie material. Right, because they're spoofing but, Crouching yeah. Tiger, Hidden Dragon right there. And just hanging there with the one wire, it's like, oh, that's great. And he's just kind <laughs> of awkwardly turning around. That's a really funny gag. It's the only time I've ever found Fat Bastard funny. But yeah, I just feel like this one is so much more of, like, look at me, here I am, here's my face in these different makeups. And how many times he just says, oh, thank you, to the camera, like... No, I you don't. Know. You don't get to do that. You, you just assume that we're gonna laugh. And maybe at the time, admittingly, he was one of the biggest comedic stars. The most interesting thing watching this movie to me is you have him being so ego driven and like really mugging. And this is rare. You never would see this again. This is a 
one specific I point in time. I know exactly where you're going. Where, yeah, go ahead. where Beyonce Knowles has I... something to prove. I know. I agree. This is a very important point in her career because I found this out. The song Work It Out, which she did for the movie, was the first time she ever released a solo single, not with Destiny's Child or some other artist. Uh-oh. Mike Myers caused the dissension in the ranks of Destiny's Child. <laughs> of, of course, clearly. Um, <laughs> But no, but th- this is weird because after this, she would become, like, obviously one of the few big pop stars of our modern era right now that's still making any kind of money. And she would do, like, Lemonade and other stuff like that. But here she is definitely hungry and trying to prove, like, no, I can be on my own. This is my film debut. I think she's, like, the most likable thing about the movie because she gives the foxy Cleopatra character way more than it ever deserves. Because, like, that's what works about the first Austin Powers is Elizabeth Hurley feels so much more of, like, an equal to Austin. And that structure of, like, she is trying to teach this guy from the 60s, no, you can't be a fucking horn dog like this. It's a different era. You can't be like this dude. But you still kind of believe like their relationship as it continues to grow from there. Then Heather Graham is a nothing of a character in the second yeah. one. Like Beyonce is trying to like instead like, oh you're a freak, but I kinda like that. I'm foxy. I do weird shit. That at least feels more to me like a likable character than someone like Heather Graham in the last movie. She feels more natural in the time that she came from too, ironically too. Where Heather Graham is just Heather Graham's just wearing 60s clothes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it feels like she's from the time. Exactly. Beyonce feels like a legitimate black exploitation sort of character. Right. right. Even though it feels weird, like, you can tell they just ran out of, like, ideas. Because, like, that, that sort of dynamic of, like, oh, 60s guy in the 90s worked for that first movie. And then you can tell, I ran out of what to do with that. Let's take into the 70s now, I guess. <laughs> they had to go back in time in the second one, too. You know, that was a big part of it. Cause right, what to else the 60s, yeah, but uh, I will say, out of all the cameos, Nathan Lane's cameo was probably the funniest. True. Where it, for no reason, it's Nathan Lane. I just thought that was pretty funny. My main problem with this movie, if, say you've never seen the first one or the second one, watch this one, then you've seen all the jokes from the first one and the second one, just done worse. Yeah, it's comedy like, sequel territory all over. It's the same shit again and just poorly executed. Where it's forced in there. You know, uh, where do you think you're going, Sailor? It's physicals today. Like, what? Get the fuck out of here with this. So they got to do the shadow scene where he's supposedly giving birth to a baby. It's just... I fucking hate this movie, man. (laughs) (laughs) But, well, Heather, you mentioned that you kind of discovered that you didn't like this one here. Were there any jokes that worked for you in Goldmember? Well, it's the same thing. Physical humor gets me, too. But it is... I the problem almost instantly, like I actually you guys touched on, was the self-aggrandizing of like the first five minutes at Spielberg, Britney Spears, you know, and it's actually one of the biggest tropes I have an issue with with um, Adam Sandler movies there for a while was it was like it was the same look who I know, look who I can get in my movies, except this was worse because it was with the first five minutes and then it never stopped. I mean, the whole fact that the movie is showing that they're making a movie of him is just all like what you said just glorified yeah Yeah, exactly the whole thing and the repetitive jokes but i mean dr evil did make me laugh and dr evil is the one that made me laugh in all three movies i mean they're so that's what's so funny to think about now was it was kind of a culture shock when it came out everyone wanted to dress like austin powers everyone talked like austin powers even before everyone was like quoting lines like they do almost 
painfully now with other movies. T- to the point where, like, it became so unfunny, and then the joke yeah. more became, oh, you're doing an Austin Powers joke, that's something a lame person would do, that's funny. <laughs> like, exactly, it's what kind of life exactly, yes. It's like Borat, the same thing. Right. Anytime you hear someone nowadays go, that nice, you're like, what the hell is going on with that psychopath? I don't want to know that person. <laughs> like, co- like comedy yeah, Bang Bang even did that where they made my wife, like, the joke is, oh, you're lame enough to do a Borat reference in, like, 2011. That's when right. that became funny. <laughs> I will agree with Tyler Doll about Dr. Evil. He is the thorough line through all three of these. Even in this one, he's got some pretty weak material. Like, the whole hard knock life scene is almost unwatchable bad. Well, because they're trying to do the just the two of us thing again. Exactly, that's yeah. it, but worse. Way worse. Uh, but I will say, and Heather brought it up, and I do like it. I love that, uh, and she likes to do that, Michael Caine's character has such a hatred for the Dutch. <laughs> like, he's like, His line is like, I, if there's two things I hate, it's people who are intolerant of other people's cultures and the Dutch. <laughs> like the thing is I remember this being so much more of like a Michael Caine sleeping through it role and it is but also he's still one of the funnier things about the movie despite that I agree completely yeah because even his body language because I love Michael Caine and even his body language in it like he's just not even moving <laughs> oh, oh yeah it's it's so just like oh uh, am I gonna stand for this scene okay just don't <laughs> I'm not gonna wear pants he probably was not wearing a pants Hannibal Lecter girl he's got it propped up <laughs> but but still at the same time like one of the few funny scenes to me was when it's him and Austin talking about oh let's do English English which is a new joke and it was actually pretty funny of like they read the subtitles and there's a point where it's just question marks and they have no idea what they're saying like shit like that Cockney, yeah right and but he also is someone who like disappears completely out of the movie too after a certain point and then it's like oh right you're back in the movie I forgot about you <laughs> this happens a lot Fred Savage's character. Oh, which, did you, you did you know, know he has a mole on his face? Uh, did you get that? Uh, I don't know if I got that. The only part of that whole bit that was funny is when he tells Austin, "Fine, go ahead and get out of your system." And Austin yells at him, you know, and does all things. And then he's looking at him. It's just Fred Savage's face on screen, and then the tree branch comes in and he's poking him in the mole with it. For some reason, that made me laugh. But Fred Savage is making me laugh in an Austin Powers Mike Myers movie. Like, what the hell? I mean, instead of, like you said, even the English-English joke, or fine, introduce his fucking father. That's totally fine. But it's just such a huge misstep. And that's watch this one. That's why there's not a fourth movie. It's so obvious. They had nowhere to go. It didn't help that he also kind of, like, his career kind of went down. Like, right the year after this is Cat in the Hat. And then it was a downslope. <laughs> right, that's, it, you know, it's not Cat in the Hat. I can give it that. It's not, not that. It's not, not the love girl. <laughs> no. His uh, five-second cameo in Inglorious Bastards is better than this whole movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. I'm sure his bit in Bohemian Rhapsody is better, though. There's a bit they're talking about Bohemian Rhapsody, the song. He's like, this sounds awful. There's no way kids are going to bang their heads in cars for that. Oh, no. Oh, I saw that clip. God, and I'm like, oh. There's a Wayne's World joke in, in Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Good for him. <laughs> you know stay relevant. He took that break sort of after a certain point, and he probably wasn't hurting for cash with, like, all the Shrek and Austin Powers and even Wayne's World residuals. I'm sure he doesn't need to work necessarily. No, he's doing fine. 
No, I'm sure. I mean, I did like, um, he did a documentary called Supermensch that was about a very famous talent agent. That was excellent. That was excellent. He also is hosting the Gong Show now for some reason. Right, which they did the weird thing where, like, they only talk about, no, it's this character who's this weird Australian comedian no one knows about. Like, it's Mike. With horrible contacts. It's Mike. Come on. We know. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> but to go back to Goldmember, I do want to say at least, like you guys were mentioning Dr. Evil, I think the misstep for me in, in the sequels for Dr. Evil, I think he's the funniest part of the first movie. I agree. I find his disappointment and then hatred of Scott in the first movie so fucking funny. The, my favorite scene in the first movie is the group therapy bit where they talk about, like, he wants to kill me. Oh, now we say this all the time. Carrie Fisher as the mm-hmm. therapist. Like, we all we all say that sometimes. We don't mean it. It's like, no, it's true. I've tried to kill him on multiple occasions. The boy's right. <laughs> the boy's, like, yeah, the boy's quite astute. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, that stuff where, like, he feels more just like, oh, he's an eccentric parody of, like, a James Bond villain. That feels like it's a good spoof because he's saying these weird things that feel like they'd be the origin of, like, the lamest James Bond villain. Like, that mm-hmm. works versus, I think, as the sequels went along, he just became more of, like, I'm gonna say pop culture phrases. I agree. But the physical gags that they would still do with him still kind of worked. Oh, no, I mean, yeah, the funniest Uh, gag to me with him is when he's dancing to some reason to Beyond the Sea. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When he's all excited because he captured him. Because he got lost it, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. Or even that joke at the beginning of, like, how they capture him in his Hollywood lair. I I like that idea of just, like, oh, we, we caught him in the first act. It's fine. (laughs) <laughs> like, right, Dr. Evil's right. completely vanquished. It's cool. <laughs> Have I mentioned I really fucking hate this movie? I don't know if you made that clear. You're about as subtle as about a Mike Myers on that front. And everybody is listening, I'm actually all three of the people talking. Um, <laughs> He's that talented, everybody. <laughs> I love gold! Yep, there's four. I'm four now. Oh, genius. <laughs> You're such a great... Here's money. Go just make more, Adam. Do it more. Go jerk off on celluloid, throw it on the screen for us, it'll be a hit, damn it. He is so much more funny when he has something to prove, and something like a Wayne's World, like you mentioned, even though, as you guys were talking about the whole, like, oh, some of the back behind-the-scenes stuff, like how he threw a tantrum and made sure Penelope Spheris didn't direct the second movie, shit like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, he, it, it's funnier for, like, me when he... We've talked about this before, the whole idea of giving your supporting cast, like, the room to breathe... Like, him and Dana Carvey in the first Wayne's World especially, it works so well. They play off so perfectly on each other because they're giving each other ample time to do sillier, weirder ideas. Plus, also, Dana Carvey is so underappreciated, and I wish he did more yeah. shit. He's such a funny well, they, fucking dude. The ironic thing is Austin Powers, that's why they never did another Wayne's World. That's why he doesn't work with Mike Myers. Austin Powers was Dana Carvey's idea. I've, I haven't heard that. I've heard the story that like he was upset that the Dr. Evil voice, which is a parody of Lorne Michaels, is like his impression of Lorne Michaels, basically. Oh. Yeah, but then like he, he wrote a movie where he would play a very racial stereotype, like Indian guru. And then Mike Myers okay. stole that from him. No, of course not. <laughs> no, I, I mean, believe you. <laughs> I think to be fair, I think that is a scene in Master of Disguise. But we'll. Oh God! It's... Oh God! No, 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 Which no. Which I also seen no, in theaters. No, no, no. Garbage movie. But I think that's the thing is you're missing that in I think post the first Austin Powers on, but like even in the first Shrek that works. Where, like it's him playing off Eddie Murphy and Cameron Diaz and. Uh, John Lithgow as well. Like, I think that's that's the thing, is when he's sort of reined in, Mike Myers can be, I think, a very funny, palpable presence. 
but I think when you just let him run wild and loose, it's so underwhelming. The supporting stuff he's done recently, I agree. It's been some of his best acting he's done in years, because he's a lot more restrained. So when he does do a funny eccentricity, it's like, oh, that's a garnish, not the whole fucking right. meal. Right, it's something you need that's at least some facet of a straight man. You don't, for comedy to work to an aspect, you need someone someone for the audience to be. And in like this one, no, your audience couldn't be anybody except horrified bystanders of Mike Myers putting on a one-man show. You're right, I think that was one of the biggest things that made it not work. And even, even the second one, it was kind of rough too. You're right, because when Fat Bastard came on, I remember even seeing it going, a, a little unnerving, but because it was makeup, so it was so much different than him, it worked. But the third one, he just, it was just a wreck. The makeup, even on Goldmember, it's terrible. It's barely disguising that he's fucking Mike Myers either. <laughs> and I think, honestly, like you even talked about the whole thing about, like, oh, no fourth movie. If you were ever going to, there was only one time, and it was when Daniel Craig came back and made Bond series, and the Bourne movies were also out. And that's long past the point of, like, that being relevant at all. Because that's all you could really do, is just, like, parody those movies. Which I could see on paper the idea of, like, Austin Powers doing, like, the Paul Greengrass, like, choppy editing. becomes a counter-agent, yeah. (laughs) Right, Right. like, that might be funny, but it's far too late to do that now. And I don't, and I've seen people even clamoring, like, do a fourth one. No, you're just nostalgic. fucking don't. Yeah, don't. Watch the third one. <laughs> Remind yourselves. So I guess that's where we can go into our final thoughts. Then Heather, final thoughts on Austin Powers in Gold Member. Nope. <laughs> Succinct. I like it. <laughs> no, it's definitely like I said. It's just nope. All right, all right. Well, we can go with that, Adam. Uh, well, just to say something that I meant to say earlier, but I didn't. Um, I fucking hate this movie. It is painful for me to watch it. It is such self-indulgent shit. I'm getting fucking angry just even thinking about it. Oh, John Travolta, really? Fuck. That's, That's, That's all I got. Gets Fuck. That's the end of my feedback. God. Fuck. Well, I'll say this. When I was a kid, actually, I realized Goldmember was the one I watched the most because we had the DVD of it. We didn't have the other two movies. I remember we, for some reason, got gold member and i remember watching it with my sisters and i remember at the time thinking it was hilarious i just it's like i said like the other two austin powers movies which i rented constantly from like a blockbuster back when those were things kids i really loved like the austin powers you know aesthetic because it's like i said oh it's it's raunchy oh they're doing um a whole thing where they're talking about dicks but they don't actually say it they just keep doing different jokes and they reprise that terribly here we didn't mention that that whole sequence with the fucking osborns osborns more self-indulgent pop culture bullshit right yeah as i've grown older it's just like the those the self-indulgence really becomes clear like honestly the only cameo i kind of liked because of how brief and kind of maybe it's also the actor danny devito showing up as mini me that's like the one i'm mini me assholes (laughs) he like shoots off the gun that just feels like a frank reynolds thing that he would do anyway and it's always sunny (laughs) in all honesty um though we didn't even mention it and r.i.p Vern troyer always trying Mike Myers said this when Vern Troyer died, and it's true. He at least made that character as memorable as it was, because it, on the page, it's just a prop of a character. But he at yeah. least adds a bit more of, like, the personality and 
the physical humor and all that other stuff to make him more memorable. And I like him actually trying to, like, become, like, Austin Powers' mini-me and that kind of weird arc he's sort of going through in the movie. Um, but all in service of, like, stuff... We didn't even mention the fucking bullshit twist of, like, oh, they're brothers! I, I, I didn't even want to oh. mention it. I, I didn't even want to bring it up. It's so fucking stupid. And how awful the flashback scenes are. How <laughs> terrible. Yeah, with people trying wow. to do the impressions of these characters. I found that, interestingly, in the brief shots where you can see young Michael Caine and Scott Ackerman of Comedy Bang Bang. What? I know! <laughs> I didn't discover that until I was doing research. Like, what the fuck? He's... Like, it's barely anything. He just, like, goes off to take a piss. But that's Scott Ackerman, evidently. Oh, wow. Um, no shit. Yeah, we all come from somewhere. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the most interesting thing, like I said, watching this was really more of, like, the... In comparison to how in-your-face and awfully annoying Mike Myers is with his ego is really Beyoncé Knowles. I think she makes it somewhat watchable, which is the way that she's trying to, like, really prove herself. It's interesting just on sort of the timeline of her career. It was fascinating on this watch to watch it for that. Not the jokes, which is what it should be for. Like you said, it repeats all the jokes. It's endlessly, creatively bankrupt on so many levels. It's really proof that, like, I don't want to really see... Mike Myers have another like free reign like he's done in so many of these movies. I would I wouldn't mind him coming back in more of a supporting actor capacity. If you bring him in, have him for like a scene or two, have him just kind of like make a quick impression, do a few funny bits and then leave, works fine. I don't think he needs to lead another movie and much less play multiple characters like this ever again. And on that lovely note, that's the end of our discussion of our double feature. Uh, we've got some uh, feedback to read because we asked all of you via our Facebook page and the Twitter page about what are your favorite and least favorite spoof films, and we got lots of feedback to go I through. think this might be the most we've ever gotten. That's true. We do get a lot um, for some of these. It's weird. It's either, like, extremely small or huge. We never quite get a middle ground <laughs> with our feedback. It's very <laughs> Sounds kind of like me. I love... <laughs> anyway, that's nope. Joke. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that feels like a gold member joke. Yeah, always, <laughs> always, always. I'm gonna we're gonna go ahead and read through all the feedback here, and we'll comment on the end of it. Uh, Shaquille Lambert says, "Undercover Brother" and "Black Dynamite" are my personal peaks of spoof cinema. But I also got space in my heart for Scary Movie two and three, especially the Nike parody in the second and the Kevin Hart Anthony Anderson arguments in the third. Worst, I mean, Friedberg Seltzer movies go without saying, but I also want to bring attention to Scary Movie 5, which was bad enough on its own, even without the loathsome duo, somehow also directed by the same guy who directed Undercover Brother, Malcolm D. Lee. Um, and Scott Johnson, another friend of the show, I forgot Undercover Brother counts as a spoof, it's so damn good. Uh, another friend of the show, Scott Crawford, says, uh, two of the best spoof movies for me would be Young Frankenstein and Black Dynamite. Uh, another friend of the show, Dan Chambos, says, I absolutely love Blazing Saddles. Andrew Lorenz says, best airplane, Blazing Saddles, Spaceballs, worst date movie, epic movie, basically anything that ends with the word movie. Uh, Josh Schumacher says, uh, Black Dynamite, Airplane, and Spaceballs are the best. Also, does Monty Python the Holy Grail count? And then worst, uh, there are too many bad spoof movies to list. Uh, James Rodriguez says, Undercover Brother is a sharp spoof which peppers in witty lines and commentary amongst the consistently hilarious comedy. Uh, as for worse, it'd be easy to list the filmography of Friedberg and Seltzer, so I'll just stick to their magnum opus of crap and laziness that is Disaster Movie. 
Brian Kane says, aside from Airplane, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes is a favorite of mine. The shoestring budget works so much in its favor, and there's a special place in hell for Reebok Seltzer spoofs. Barrett Vasilchik says, Austin Powers. Adrian Cardenas says, my favorite have to be Shaun of the Dead, Robin Hood Men in Tights, Kung Fu Hustle, Mars Attacks, and Spaceballs, and there's just too many terrible ones to get started. Beat the Spartans is probably one of the worst, but it still makes me laugh for some reason. Nate Thomas's Airplane, Loaded Weapon, Naked Gun, and Spaceballs are the best. Worst, all the scary movies after, like, number one, and Meet the Spartans. Max David Greenbald, which is at M.D. Greenbald, says, uh, Murder by Death is one of my favorite spoof movies. Will Torres says, Hot Shots Part 2 is a childhood favorite. Top Secret is underrated and one of the best ones. Meet the Spartans is definitely the epitome of the trashiest of those trashy shit movies. And Tyler Thompson says, Is Kung Pao considered a spoof movie? It's one of my favorite guilty pleasure movies. So do people of... like the Seltzer and Friedberg movies? I, I, I don't know. You know, it's, it's like it's subtle, like your uh, love of Goldmember, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, that was the recurring thing. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Jason Friedberg and Aaron Seltzer were the guys who made like all those like date movie, epic movie, those movies that came out in like so the mid two thousands, which are like they're like the go to for like oh worst comedies of all time. They're terrible. They're barely movies, honestly. They, they are. Yeah. They're just. There's just interconnected scenes that have nothing to do with each other. Just in a film, like in the disaster one. If it's the same one I'm thinking of, the chick from Enchanted gets hit by a car, and then all yeah. of a sudden Iron Man's in it. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? Why are we and, in Narnia? <laughs> and hey, he gets crushed by a cow. Adam Iron Man does, so that's funny. I remember really. a girl I used to work with. She she came up and she must have seen like every single one of those movies. And she came up when the Meet the Spartans came out. And she's like, "Yeah, I went to see it in the theater." I couldn't even say anything. I was just looking. What kind of person are you? <laughs> she would have the same reaction if she's like, "Yeah, I clubbed baby seals over the weekend. It was fun." <laughs> 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 Probably what she did after or prior. During. She's the only one in the fucking theater. Biggest fans of Friedberg and Seltzer, 14-year-old boys, and baby seal clubbers. <laughs> I do love Black Dynamite. I think that's oh, yeah. so great. I don't know that ugh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail counts. I guess it could, but meh. Doing research, it was weird where, like, how many times I would look up, like, list of spoof movies, and most of them were just like, these are just comedies. They're not yeah, spoofs of anything. Yeah, I count Monty Python as a, as a spoof, really. Undercover Brother, I, I don't really care for that movie, personally. But oh, I think it's because I don't like Eddie Griffin, either. I think he's so annoying. I usually <laughs> don't like Eddie Griffin. Undercover Brother is the exception that proves the rule to me. Because I, I think he works fine as a lead of a fucking really well-written which is interesting, it's John Ridley, who would later win an Oscar for 12 Years a Slave, wrote that. Um, and I, I think also the supporting cast really helps him out, like Neil Patrick Harris. Dave Chappelle. That was where I discovered Dave Chappelle. And he's really? so fucking funny in that movie to me. It's Conspiracy yeah. Brother. That makes so much sense, because I'm literally thinking, I was getting it confused with Pootie Tang. So I'm no, like, very different movie. <laughs> so many people had so much love for it, I'm like... Whoa, I must really need to watch that again. <laughs> Dude, Chris Kattan and Denise Richards, God. That's that's the only time also I like either of those two actors. I think... Oh, you're out of your fucking mind. Oh, that, that's the only time I like those terrible actors, you're right. That shouldn't like them ever. It's such a rare confluence where I think the direction and the script is so goddamn consistently funny that I don't 
give a shit about, like, Denise Richards and Chris Kattan being there. They're serviceable. They're fine. I just think, like, the other stuff around them is so much more fucking funny. Like, Neil Patrick Harris going fucking wild at the end of the movie and tearing that up threads and shit. Hilarious. I would like to talk about Undercover Brother at some point. I think that deserves a rewatch from you, Adam. I Maybe. think it, I haven't seen it since it came out. Um, Let's do that, Corky Romano. Since you're such a Chris Kattan fan, our Chris Kattan episode coming <laughs> soon. Yeah. Coming soon. <laughs> uh, our other choice was Monkey Bone. Oh no! Probably be a guest. <laughs> <laughs> we could probably get him. <laughs> Just fucking grill him about Corky Romano. What the fuck did you do? <laughs> I hope you're happy with yourself. Well, obviously, there are ones that people can mention, like Airplanes, Grady, Blazing Saddles, a lot of that other, Young Frankenstein, for sure. But I like mentions of stuff like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, I think is one that often goes underlooked. Especially, I think, the second one I really like as well. I think it's a better one, the second one. Isn't John Aston? is that the one where he shows up as a scientist? Yes, and it's yeah. not the one with Clooney. Clooney's in, what, the third or fourth? No, he's in the second one, too. Okay. Yeah. I can't stand Kung Pao, either. It was a novel idea. I just don't think it was executed well. It comes off more annoying than it does funny to me. I did revisit that recently, and I don't think it quite holds up. I think there are plenty of funny gags in there, but it's kind of like with Fatal Instinct for me, where I think there are some jokes in there that are super hysterical, but they're not the big set-piece comedy bits. Not None of the bits like that basically they shoot for the movie versus what they dub over. Like, the best uh-huh. bit in that movie to me is when like they animate the fly going around and... They have him, like, accidentally swallow it when he just opens his mouth weirdly in the footage. He's like, oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it just got stuck in there. <laughs> like, shit like that's way funny. But, uh, Heather, did any of these uh, spark your fancy? I am a huge, undeniable fan of Mel Brooks. He's the father of the spoofs for me. So, like, any of them. Robin Hood, Men in Tights was, and I mean, probably a lot of people say the weakest. I don't know. They're dumb. But Robin Hood, Men in Tights is one of my all-time favorite movies. I've rewatched it more times than I can count. And Black Dynamite was going to be my, for me, is probably the perfect representation of spoof in recent years. It spoofed the actual making of the movies so on point and genuine. And Michael Jai White is genius in that movie. So great. Bucky, what have you had? (laughs) So great. Oh, I love that movie so much. Um, I threw that shit before I entered the room. (laughs) (laughs) Those of you who mentioned Naked Gun, if you haven't, watch the Police Squad TV show. Which, for those of you who don't know, before it was Naked Gun, they, uh, Zucker, Abrams, and Zucker, the guys who did Airplane and Top Secret, did a show called Police Squad. And that was basically, they took all the jokes for the Naked Gun movies, because no one saw the show at that point. If you watch that show, it's like, oh shit, those are all the jokes, and arguably done way better than any of the movies, even the first one. I agree. Like, even the opening shot with the the car, uh, the top of the police car... Yeah, it was the, so funny in the show because it was a it was under budget too. But once I remember, I got excited about that because I'd seen that first before I'd seen the second Naked Gun and the first Naked Gun. So okay. during the second Naked Gun, it goes you know over roller coaster and stuff like that. But the show was so funny. The whole running gag in the every episode of like with special guest star and they kill the guest star in the opening. And he never <laughs> shows up in the show. Like they have William Shatner, uh, Florence Henderson gets gunned down. <laughs> It's great. Um, and would you count something like Shaun of the Dead as a spoof, necessarily? No, no, I wouldn't. I, I'd say it's more of a um, homage to the zombie genre. I mean, maybe, even if you count it that, I don't think it's a spoof. That's where you draw the line of more like a satire versus a spoof. 
Because satire yeah, is a lot more high-minded in that way. Like, I would say any of the Cornetto trilogy are more, like, satiric films about, like, those, like, products where it's, like, for Shaun of the Dead, it's zombie movies. For Hot Fuzz, it's cop movies. And then sci-fi movies for The World's End. But each of them also work as, like, movies with their own individual stories and characters. Right. I think that's the big difference. In a similar vein, I would say, like, we mentioned... Monty Python, The Holy Grail, I would argue that's closer than some of their other movies. Like, Life of Brian is a satire, and I would argue genius. It's a great religious satire that I think goes very underlooked. I think, personally, it's a better movie than Holy Grail. I agree. I think I've seen it once. I'm not the biggest Python fan, to be honest. Oh, it's so Apparently, bad. I don't like anything tonight. <laughs> it was like my age group or like high school, I'd say, that it was like had this huge reoccurrence. Like it was, oh, it was like high school for sure. Because it was like, yeah, everybody also loved the fucking Beatles out of nowhere. And Bonnie <laughs> Python. Right. Like, what the fuck is going on? I did like Life of Brian better probably because of that, though. Because Monty Python, um, Holy Grail was everywhere in high school. Everywhere. It's really much more narratively driven, and it has some of their smartest takes on just religion and a lot of, like, political satire stuff. I think it still works as genius about that movie. That's a back pocket one, Adam. I would like to discuss that one here on the show. Let's go ahead and uh, get into our thank yous and... Later on, our big format change. But first, thanks to Chris Oliver for the music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarda for the art in our show. She accepts commissions at 502rs.com slash eescarda. And uh, find us on Twitter and Facebook at dedbpod. Or you can also email us feedback if you want at doubleedgedoublebill, all spelled out, at gmail.com. And I'm also on Twitter by myself as at notthewhostommy. I do writing at marianithomas.wordpress.com. Adam is, I don't know, in the floorboard somewhere. You might find him. Yeah, just being a curmudgeon about John Travolta. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. And uh, I should also mention, I apologize, Heather. Thank you for being on the show. Always lovely to have you as a guest. Oh, thank you for having me. I just also want to say good luck. We're all counting on you. <laughs> yeah, we, we do appreciate that. Uh, but we're actually going to be counting on you in a second um, for our little format change. Um, and by the way, subscribe to us on iTunes, rate and review the show to give us more visibility, blah, blah, blah. We ask about that all the time. Um, oh, by the way, we're releasing this around, I believe, on Christmas is when I'm going to put this out. So Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Oh, Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> Yes, he's already but... drunk. Yeah. <laughs> he's always drunk. I got I'm used to this drunk. a long time ago. Why do you think <laughs> I lead the ship, Heather? Jesus. I get drunk after the show like a responsible adult. Now, we teased at the beginning of the show we were going to do a format change. And uh, now, from now on till the end of the sun burning out, we are going to be doing our picks for next week's episode at the end of the show. And uh, next week's episode is uh, we're reprising our first topic as well. It's, a, it's just so many firsts that are going on. It's our first time we've reprised the topic, and uh, because it's now the end of the year, by the time this new episode is coming out, it'll be the first of the year. I'm going to put it out on New Year's Day uh, to nurse your hangovers. We are doing our 2018 wrap-up, where uh, we're going to do one good movie from 2018, one bad one. Uh, I've seen tons. so I've I, got... seen, I ain't seen shit. You've seen more than our last time we did 2018 movies where you'd seen literally nothing. <laughs> That's true. I know you've been doing some catch-up, though, right? There's been a few... 
There's a couple. Um, I guarantee you, though, probably all four of our choices. I haven't seen any of them just because. Okay, you've seen everything. In comparison, <laughs> I've seen nothing. Right. So, I, mean... I, I created a lot of that to having the AMC Stubbs A list thing. That that's oh. really helped with seeing movies because those of you who don't know it's a thing where you can celebrity. like celebrity. That's Ooh. oh yes, I, I pay twenty dollars a month to see three movies a week. I could Ooh. Fancy hell me. yeah, hell yes indeed. So we're going to do our picking where I have the two good movies, Adam has the two bad ones, and usually we would each pick a number between one and ten from numbers that uh, the other has assigned. And that ends up getting our good and our bad feature. But when we have a guest like Ms. Thomas over here, she gets no, to. No, thank you. She gets Mrs. To... Bunny. Get it right. <laughs> she gets to hold the gun and uh, shoot or judo chop, whichever you prefer to do, at us. <laughs> um, so for my two good picks, number between one and ten. Four. All right. At number five, I had one that I think is very underrated, um, and I think has an appropriate title because of that. It's a movie that came out during the summer, a little independent feature called Blind Spotting. It is a comedy drama starring David Diggs of Hamilton fame as a man who was initially in prison for a while. He's just getting out. He's on oh, probation. Oh, 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 I know what you're talking about. I keep hearing about that one. And that way he's got like 72 hours left on his probation. Yes. Oh yeah, okay. I I have been wanting to see that. Every time it's it's on all the like best of the year lists and everything, or the movies you best movies you didn't see this year. Mm-hmm. So okay, I'm excited to see that. Cool. Yes, it's a uh, you're filling in a blind spot, as it were. Uh, uh, <laughs> what was your other pick? Well, at number one, I had another one that I really loved uh, called "Sorry to Bother You," which is a weird, crazy fucking movie that I loved. Also, didn't see that one. So, hey, I would have lucked out either way. Yes, uh, but so much luck on my side. Let's go ahead and have Heather pick another number between 1 and 10 for our bad choices for next week. Let's go with 9. At number 7, I have Venom. Oh, goody. (laughs) I'm so excited from the first time I watched it. Though, to be fair, Venom is a very divisive one. That has fans. I'm very I perplexed know, I'm by. Curious if I'll be one of them. I highly doubt it, though. <laughs> but what was your uh, other choice? At number three, I had Death Wish. Oh, thank God! Because <laughs> <laughs> that's a minefield. <laughs> Probably wouldn't have been appropriate for blind spotting, uh, given it's like, oh, we'll contrast that with Bruce Willis as a white guy in a hoodie going around shooting inner city people. Oh, Great. good, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with Tom Hardy doing silly shit instead, of course. Uh, but thank you, Heather, for doing that picking. Now I need the gun back. And your badge. <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> You're off the force. Get out of here. Like, we will be getting out of here, and we'll see you guys next time. On Double Edge, Double Bill. See ya. Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> Good night.